So this is exciting. And, you know, what you come up with might inspire other settlers and immigrants who who share the land with us to know more about the Indigenous peoples that they, they coexist with. I'm Chris Chang and Phillips, Edmonton's Historian Laureate, and this is Let's Find Out, a monthly podcast about the history of Edmonton, Alberta, or Amiskwichi Waskahiga, on Treaty 6 territory. Each episode, I find people with questions about local history, and then we find out the answers together. This episode, a lesson in protocol. Learning about Indigenous history can be fraught, especially for settler Canadians. This is a story about not being afraid to try. Understanding that asking questions is complicated, messing up, and being able to laugh at yourself and keep doing your best. I hope you'll come away with some actual helpful tips from our quest, a quest that started last summer before this podcast even launched, when Nathan Smith emailed me a series of questions, and I picked one that I had a hunch would teach us not just about the history of this place, but also how to ask questions about it. It starts at Nathan's place, sitting on his couch on a winter night in January. Hi, I'm Nathan Smith. I am an Edmontonian. I've been living here for pretty much my whole life. I am currently a graphic designer living in Edmonton, and I consider myself sort of an amateur enthusiast historian. Awesome. Uh, Historian enthusiast, I guess. That's the... (laughs) Or historical enthusiast. I felt like I got Nathan a bit more once I saw some of his illustrations he makes graphics for social studies exams for Alberta education. I've seen some really amazing drawings he's made of Viking ships and animals. Nathan and I know each other through his girlfriend, Alexis. She organized the Asian-Canadian film series at the Metro Cinema in 2016, and I interviewed her about that for CJSR. So when I told her I was developing this podcast, she said, Oh, I bet my boyfriend Nathan would have a bunch of questions for you. And he did. When we think about history, we think about thousands of years back and we think about pillars and, you know, and, and structures and stuff like that. So we don't have much of that in Edmonton, but we do have, you know, I know indigenous populations that go back a long way, but I, but considering our education systems kind of failing, I think on, on the history of our region past, you know, 100 or 200 years, one of my questions was, well, what was happening before that time? And probably looking at what ancient civilizations do and what people do. Nathan and I went back and forth for a bit, trying to shape his curiosity about whether indigenous people farmed on this land before contact into a more open-ended question about the food traditions here. What do you think about just framing it as an open-ended, what food plants or uh, what plants have been important as food plants to indigenous peoples in the Edmonton area? Yeah, that's, that's definitely, I think, having that answer is leads to more knowledge of the history of Edmonton. Okay. Even, even like, you know, walking around saying, Hey, you know, that plant was an important plant or is that plant even exist anymore? Maybe it doesn't. Um, or even, even in how it, they call it was cultivated and, and what it was used for. There's loads of questions that come from one single question. I think that's, that's the spirit of the question. It's in and of itself. I, I, I think I connect to what you're saying about having, grown up without feeling like Canada's history went back more than a couple hundred years. Um, And it's interesting that we're having this conversation this year when there's all these public celebrations for Canada turning 150, but 
I mean, the, the history of even European settlement goes back hundreds of years before that. And there's way, way, way more indigenous history there than 150 years. So yeah, I, I, I take your point about like wanting to get connected to that, that history. Uh, this summer, uh, my partner and I, we, we traveled to Rome and we stayed in a B&B that was um, from the 8th century. So, you know, 1300 years um, ago, the building that we stayed in was was around. And what was Edmonton like 1300 years ago? You know, that is a question that I, I've always wondered. I, I started when I thought about your question, I thought about kind of the the meta question of how do we ask questions across cultures and I realized um, first of all that I, I was not sure how indigenous holders of knowledge would think of the premise of my podcast because my podcast is kind of all about um, knowledge being out there for anyone to just like learn about and discover and um, I know that there's a history of settler people in North America taking indigenous knowledge and not always using it in ways that are beneficial for the people to share. So I don't want to assume too much about your background, but I think this will be relevant to our exploration. Um, uh, what What is the story of your family and how they arrived in Canada and where they're from? Um, well, my mom is from Thorsby, Alberta. She's a farm. She was raised on a farm and um, her parents were from Sweden and my dad was an immigrant to Canada, and he came from England. Here's roughly my plan, is talking to somebody about just framing some of the challenges associated with this task of asking questions across cultures. This could be a 20-part documentary series on, on food plants. Um, so we'll, we'll just chip away a little bit at it, but hopefully it'll be interesting for you and useful for listeners. And if it leads to other questions down the road, that's, that's great, too. So I mentioned CJSR earlier. That's the campus and community radio station based at the University of Alberta, where I work most of the week as the news coordinator. I supervise and train volunteers who make news shows at our station, and one of those shows is Chimwin. It's a really fun, warm, indigenous-focused talk show on Friday mornings, the main host, Jody Stonehouse, or JoJo on the radio, just sets this tone on the show like her guests are sitting on a couch in her home. So anyway, Jody and I have been getting to know each other a bit over the years. She's been teaching me a bit of Cree. We worked together on a radio camp. And as Nathan and I were starting down this path of figuring out how to ask these questions respectfully, I asked Jody if she would mind getting us in the right mindset. She was kind enough to meet us at the City of Edmonton Archives. Hello. Nathan. Hi. Nice to meet you, Nathan. Nice to meet you. <laughs> Thank you for taking the time to meet us. Yeah. We have to sign yeah. in. Okay. Right. Do I have to like show ID? No, no. You can just. Uh, Jody, do you want to introduce yourself a little bit about who you are? Tanse kapapa maskamgana kaskwe on etigatun otsinia Michelle First Nation nia hodnishoni nihau eskweo. Hello, uh, my Cree name is the woman who walks around the earth until her hair turns silver. My English name is Jody Stonehouse. I'm from the Michelle First Nation. Uh, we are a Mohawk and Cree peoples. I am currently finishing a Master's of Science at the University of Alberta. Produce a Chimowin at CJSR and uh, produce Indigenous films and stories with Mio Pamatsuin Productions. Nathan explained his feeling that 
he didn't get a good education about indigenous history in school. Um, you know, it was sort of like, they were here, then we were. Jody told Nathan and I about some of the tensions right now for indigenous peoples here around eating traditional foods. So there's a couple of things that come to my mind. And one is that as indigenous peoples, we're made up of stories. And I've been blessed to sit with so many people who've shared really brilliant stories that have inspired me, reminded me, and connected me to the land. So any of this knowledge that I carry or know, it's not mine. It's just been graciously shared with me. And uh, most of it has been with local elders. And when I think about the land... Treaty 6 territory, which we live in, um, I go with family members to the treaty gathering. So every summer we gather and we open the Treaty 6 bundle. And that's the time when your relatives and my relatives sat together when they opened that bundle and they talked about treaty and they agreed uh, to live here and coexist in this territory. And, and we still open those bundles every summer and we lift those pipes and we sing those songs, the same songs that we sung uh, at the time of signing of treaty to remind us of our obligation and responsibility to the land as long as the sun shines, as long as the rivers flow and as long as the grass grows, right? Like this is the work we have to do together. And we're reminded of that at every opening of the bundle. And for me, it always strikes me as peculiar that at the signing of treaty, there was two sides of that circle. There was your family and there was my family. Now I only see Indigenous people sitting at that circle when we open that bundle. And so the essence of treaty has to be, uh, I think we need to reconnect as, as settler and immigrant and Indigenous societies and be reminded of why and how we agreed to share this lands and what is the responsibility of Indigenous peoples? What is the responsibility of settler peoples as we share this land? And in my family, I can't speak for all Treaty 6 families, but for our family, we came, uh, we were La Voyageurs. We brought Hende West and, and Alexander Mackenzie West, and we brought them through canoes and settled here. And with us came the knowledge of gardening. Like we're uh, Haudenosaunee people, so the three sisters, the corn, beans, and the squash were really vital. And the Callahoo farmers, the, the boys from Callahoo were known to be quite experienced farmers and it, it's rooted in their indigeneity as Mohawk peoples. However, on the Cree side, you know, on these lands, there's lots of wild turnips that grow in the bushes. And of course, the berries that are really important to us now in our ceremonies and uh, in in being well. And when we think about Milpamatsuin in the Cree phrase of how do we live well? How, what's the best how do I live my best life? And and part of understanding Milpamatsuin is understanding that you have to eat the food from your land. You have to eat the, the foods that are here to sustain you. And some of the issues now with that is if we think about, you know, polycyclical aerohydrocarbons with arsenic and methylmercury and cadmium and, you know, the, the extraction of coal and oil and all the, the contaminants now that are... The particulates are landing in the sediment where some of these berries are growing. So like Saskatoon bushes or blueberry, low patch, um, where a lot of our muskegi, a lot of our muskiki in muskeg, the medicines grow, uh, they also absorb the toxins. And so things like our rat root and our sweet grass are 
what used to heal us but potentially now are harming us because of the aerohydrocarbons. And, you know, it's it's a bizarre tension to be in when the food that are talked to you about since you're a child in stories and you've eaten your whole life potentially now could harm you. So this this is top of mind when you think about like what food plants are important to people in this area is that relationship to land and, and how it's difficult to have a healthy relationship with that food right now because there's so much stuff in it that's unhealthy for the people who are eating it. Yeah, but it's still really fundamental in ceremony. Like I've in all the ceremonies I've been doing my entire life, there's always berry soup. There's never you never go without berries ever, you know. And and the ceremony actually won't start until the berries arrive. They're so integral. And for the Mohawk side of my family, the integral berry is the heart berry, the strawberry. So you know, all of these berries are significant, not only in food nourishing our body, but in nourishing our spirits. We have stories that were taught as young children around why they're important, around why those three sisters are important, and what are the lessons about growing them together and respecting each other's space. And um, these, these stories teach us how to be good humans and why it's important to also eat those things nutritionally and spiritually. Nathan is curious to learn some of those stories and about some of those foods. So what tips would you offer him for like how to approach that question in um, a good way that, yeah. So a lot of those stories, the way I understand oral tradition and the way I've been taught in my family and through people I respect and elders is every clan, tribe has their own stories and origin stories, how they got here to be who they are. And it's if you can imagine an encyclopedia, a case of encyclopedias in front of you, and from A to Z, and and inside those books, there's pages. And well, it's like that with our oral stories. We start at A with the origin story. You know, for us as Mohawk people, it's Sky Woman, how we got here to be who we are. And from that story, there are thousands of other stories that talk about different things and oftentimes berries might be in some of them and oftentimes there might not be anything about berries and particular stories can only be told at particular times Uh, stories have their own life they have their own uh, story keepers and storytellers Um, in order to tell a story you have to have the rights or the privilege or been provided the responsibility by the keeper of that story to share that story with others. And uh, the best way to find out the kinds of stories that you're looking for is to bring protocol. Um, So for Cree people, um, there's the oldest medicine that we have is tobacco. And for Mohawks, when we smudge with tobacco, uh, we smudge it to clear the room so that no lies can be told and that our hearts and minds can come together as one. When Cree, in Cree society, they have a different understanding of, of the tobacco. And um, when you offer that tobacco to somebody and you're going to ask them for a story, you offer that tobacco and, and say why you're there. And, and if that elder accepts that tobacco, then they're accepting that responsibility uh, 
to reciprocate. It, it's a legally binding contract, like you would in common law, but in indigenous law, it, this is our legally binding contract is the tobacco. I'm going to reciprocate because I've accepted. And um, we also believe that if you don't um, fulfill your obligation to reciprocate, there's consequences. And in our worldview, um, it's not just the consequences on our physical plane, but there's also consequences in the metaphysical. The spiritual realm has just as much agency or power or authority or jurisdiction as the human world. Similarly, in our worldview, so do the four-leggeds, the two-leggeds, the winged ones, the fish, the water beings, the water creatures. They all have just as much agency as an authority to exist as we do as human beings. We don't supersede their jurisdiction because we are humans, which is very different than a Western worldview and a Western uh, understanding of being on the, on the earth, which is why we're often... Um, battling it out in courts over resource extraction and how the land is being treated because we see the land as our relative and we have to honor it as our relative. And so if you want to find stories about relatives, um, you have to first connect with somebody in a community, like go to the territory that you want to know about. And then uh, our elders are brilliant and somehow are experts in one area uh, they're brilliant in their own way and have expertise in different areas. So it may take some time to find the experts you're looking for and to find the content you're looking for. Do you know what you're looking for? Well, um, I feel what I'm looking for is 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 more um, history than we came here. Uh, uh, like there might be information on Treaty 6, but it's, it's definitely information that's not like like you, you just described about, um, you know, opening up and, and, and being a part of it and, and, and it being a contractual thing where you should be there. Nathan told Jody he had to rewrite the impression he got in school that humans only thrived on this land once white settlers came and started doing large-scale farming. Nathan said he was interested in knowing what plants have been most important here. And Jody explained that that wasn't quite how she would approach this question. So, um... In, sort of in a decentralized society in our cosmology, uh, no one takes precedent over the other. They all matter in the ecosystem. They all play a role in the survival of, you know, every being on the planet. So uh, there isn't one that would supersede its value over another. Um, what I'm hearing sort of questions around is, mnemonic devices. So I think about Elder Jimmy Ochis, whose late dad I met as a kid, late Peter Ochis, and they're Anishinaabe, they're Soto family. And they also traveled out west at the same time as my relatives did. And uh, they didn't go to the Indian residential schools. They hid in the bushes. And they have these beautiful stories about um, the markings on the land. And so they are able to look at particular parts of the landscape and have stories around why the land looks the way it does and how we're supposed to behave in the territory we're in. I would start with, with Elder Jimmy Ochis to talk about the landscape. He's very highly regarded and uh, he's out at Enoch Cree Nation and he does quite a bit of work here in the city and at the University of Alberta and at the Yellowhead Tribal College. So he's very accessible. 
and uh, he, he has great stories about the land. I guess the, the next step would be, would it be possible to um, just know, like, what is the best way to try to get in touch with Elder Jimmy? Head tribal council just at the college. Just reach out to like give them a call and say. I'll see if I got their number. Okay. Because he teaches there, he teaches with uh, Dr. James Macocus, and they do stuff on health. I know James. Ah, well, there you go. That is your in. Elders will accept tobacco from anybody, um, but they don't feel as obligated if they don't necessarily know that person we're just some randos yeah. coming up because there has been a long history of uh, academics coming into indigenous communities and earning phds and not giving anything back besides uh trinkets and trash right oh here's a bottle water bottle and oh here's a notebook and here's some pens but i've got a phd now and i'm going to earn a hundred thousand for the rest of my life but thanks for your knowledge information, yeah, yeah. That would be something that you'll have to take care of on your journey is when you in, when you speak with elders is that you have to be able to demonstrate a way to reciprocate the gift that you're receiving because they're going to share something that they've had to work very hard uh, to ascertain over their life to gain that knowledge or to gain that story. They might have had to go for a fast for four days or four nights in a mountain with an elder in order to earn that story. Or they may have had to spend two years of their life looking after uh, an old person, right? They, there's a lot of work that goes into becoming the knowledge keeper or the storyteller. And so uh, we recognize those storytellers and we often gift them um, with their stories. So we bring food, berries, they like dry meat, smoked fish, um, you know, and a Walmart card doesn't hurt. <laughs> Everybody uses toilet paper. So uh, that would be my advice to you. Um, and if you're if you're up for this journey, um, Nathan, um, yeah, you're not alone either. I, I guess that's what I would say. Like, um, you know, I consider myself part of this journey uh, too. So um, I'm happy to offer myself as someone who can help reciprocate that. Like an like an adventure of understanding and learning, and um, and I, I really appreciate the idea that knowledge is 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 important, and and it should always be something that people um, treat with respect. Yeah. So it's it'll take some work, and it would be a really beautiful story to share about your journey through this uh, through finding out about this landscape, these stories. I don't know that I've actually witnessed um, some, you know, non-Indigenous people, academics or not, um, really, aside from really small pieces of that are related to their particular research, I don't know that I've met anybody who's just curious to know the, the, this place because of they live here. So this is exciting and, you know, what you come up with might inspire other settlers and immigrants who who share the land with us to know more about the indigenous peoples that they they coexist with. So this was a totally different path than the one I was expecting to go down. For most of these cases, we've been 
relying on documents, you know, old pictures, newspaper articles, satellite imagery, books. But meeting this elder that Jody suggested seemed like a more meaningful journey to go on, and certainly a new experience for both Nathan and me. So Nathan took it upon himself to go out and buy tobacco. Meanwhile, I took Jody's suggestion and called in a favor from that friend, James Makokas, who works at Yellowhead Tribal College. It was April 2017 by this point. James was kind enough to give me the phone number for Elder Jim O'Cheese's wife, Cynthia. Cynthia and I texted and chatted over the phone, and I guess the introduction from James was a good foot in the door because Jim agreed to take my call. What do you chat about when you're trying to persuade an elder to come on your podcast? Brake pads, in this case. He was underneath his vehicle changing them when I called. He started teasing me almost instantly, which I kind of liked. We talked about traditional foods. This is not history, he said. These traditions are still alive. We talked about how many of these foods had been outlawed in the past. And in the end, he agreed to meet up for breakfast. He suggested Denny's, but I invited him to my place, where it would be quieter. Better for recording. Was there anything special I could make him that he'd really enjoy, I asked. Sure, he said. Moose nose, dried moose meat, or bannock would be great. I was thinking, like, orange juice? But I said, okay, I'll see what I can do. See you in a couple days. I hung up and thought to myself, okay, it's Friday right now. This breakfast is on Sunday. This is my weekend, finding moose meat. The first thing I did was put out a call on Facebook. Okay, friends, I need your best recommendations on where to get dry moose meat and moose nose. Tomorrow, help. While I waited for suggestions to come in, I went to the farmer's market. A couple internet searches suggested that selling moose meat this way might be illegal in Alberta, but I figured it's worth a shot. No luck there. I checked all the websites for those rare meat stores in town, you know, the places that sell kangaroo and alligator and bison. No luck. My friend Allie hassled her brother, who hunts moose, to check his freezer. Nope, fresh out of moose noggin, he replied. And then, at last, my friend Kyla reached out to her dad, who also hunts. I was at a party when her dad called. His friend said he had some moose sausage in his freezer and he'd be happy to let me have it. I grabbed a pen and wrote his address on the side of a styrofoam cup. About two hours later, I was walking down the quiet streets of his neighborhood in St. Albert. It was dusk, a very quiet residential street. I could feel the raised eyebrows from the neighbors as I walked down the street with my recorder and my headphones. Then I rang the doorbell. Hi. Hi. Sorry, I didn't know the doorbell would be quite that loud. No worries. So, we got you a package of breakfast sausage and a package oh, of sausage. I just said that again. Oh, so no, sorry. No worries. <laughs> breakfast right. sausage? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yep. And okay. another package of uh, sausage is there, so. Yeah. Well, thank you. Have a wonderful night. All right. You too. Take care. Okay. Enjoy uh, your meal tomorrow. Yeah. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. All righty. <laughs> okay. Take care. See you later. I don't know why this moose seemed so essential. It was entirely possible Jim was just teasing me by sending me on this impossible breakfast quest. But I did it. And then, Sunday morning, as I was prepping for breakfast, it started snowing. So I called Jim to see if he'd still be able to make it. And bad news. He said he'd been meaning to call. He got food poisoning the night before. I said, no problem. We'd reschedule. I had no idea when we'd connect, though. To my great surprise, he called the next day, which was a Monday afternoon at 3 p.m., and he said, I'm feeling better now. I'm free till 6. Can you guys come over to my place? I didn't know when we'd be able to meet again, though, so on pure faith that this all would work out, I said, sure, 
I'll make it happen. I tried texting and calling Nathan, left a message, and then just started driving to the tobacconists because it seemed like a long shot that Nathan would have brought his tobacco to the office with him that day. I asked the clerk at the tobacconists, hey, what would you recommend for making a protocol offering to an elder? He picked up a glass jar labeled Golden Virginia from the wall and said, this is the one. And he gave me a plastic baggie full of one ounce of it. By the time I left the store, I'd reached Nathan at his office. Can you meet me downstairs in like five, ten minutes, I asked. No problem, he said. I picked him up at work, and we started driving to Jim's place. And on the way, Jim called. Oh, uh, yeah, feel free. Take it. Yeah. Hello, Nathan here. Uh, we'll be there shortly. Probably about ten minutes. We ended up just passing Jim on the way to his own house. He parked in his driveway, and we had to turn around there to find a spot is. on the street. So by the time we rung his doorbell, right. he was already inside. Hey. Nice to find a new person. I'm Chris. How are you, Chris? It's a pleasure. Hey. Nice to Hi. meet you, too. Nathan. Oh, you're Nathan. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, I was talking to you on the phone there. <laughs> <laughs> That's my nephew, Tyson. Hi, Tyson. How's it going? Jim invited Chris. us into his living room. Again, Jim Ochis is an elder from um, Foothills Ojibwe First Nation near Hinton on Treaty 6 territory, just like Evanson. He's an elder with a capital E, one of the knowledge keepers for his people. He greeted us with a big smile, which was good to see considering he'd been so sick. He was wearing his hair in two long braids, and he had a beaded Chicago Blackhawks cap on. Jim sat down on the couch and introduced us to his nephew, who lives with him. We sat down too, and since I remembered reading he had both the Cree and Anishinaabe education, I tried saying hi in Cree. Hanse? Yeah. That's <laughs> Cree. And you also speak... Um... I'm, I'm actually a, what, what the white people call us Ojibwe. Like, okay. I'm actually Anishinaabe. Oops. But that led Jim to tell us about the fact that there's a lot of unfinished business with the treaties, because so many indigenous peoples didn't speak English at the time that they were signed. A little bit about, because there's only one side of history that's been taught, and it's not written by, by the real people that were, he, were here. So anyway, what, the, what, is, what is this uh, meeting is about anyway? You touch on it when you're talking about the history and how... So Nathan told Jim how, uh, what he was curious about, the journey we'd gone on so far. The original question that I asked Chris was, what were Indigenous people farming? Um, because I, I think the, the, the crux, of the, the inside of that question was, when, when people are close to the food sources, then you get the history of what the people are doing and how the people are living. And then you understand um, the history of, of the area and, and the history of, of, of Edmonton region and in Alberta specifically. So that question has been sort of fine-tuned as we um, have been going on this journey. Yeah, it's, it's good to, like, to learn from, from both sides. Jim said, we were all together in the past, until we were separated in the flood. He said his people always knew their white brothers would come back, and they'd have to take care of them, show the settlers how to eat corn, wild rice, wild onions, wild potatoes. But over time, the colonial governments started kicking indigenous people off their own land. You probably heard this in broad strokes many times before, but 
Jim talked more specifically about the Edmonton area. Around Edmonton here, like again, they would go to, to um, like around Strathcona area. There used to be a, a reserve there a long time ago. And even here by the, on the south side, like they had a reserve, which is more Papa Chase and over here, Michelle, Michelle Band. Like people were had their own their own land here. However, the settlers came to settle where these people were already living, right? So later on, the government kind of stopped the food source. They cannot go hunt anymore, so they're going to give them food which is what they call rations, which is box, a box of uh, food that were provided for them. But they weren't allowed to, to hunt. And all of a sudden the story goes, I didn't know I wasn't there, but there'd be people that, that were there at the time. So the government kind of stopped that, no more rations you give uh, give up the land that they were living in which is what they called script later on and because they were they weren't allowed to even to get the the food that they were living off before and uh, first they were given rations which is where the, the welfare idea began to be, right? So now you're, you were kind of forced to rely on that. It wasn't our problem, <laughs> it wasn't us. Like we had all this food source before that, right? But, they, but it's only weren't allowed to do that. So if you look at the, today the food, the way it changes from especially native people. Lots of native people get the, like diabetes, like really sky high rate of uh, diabetes, cancer. That's just because from changing to, to the foods that they used to eat. Jody Stonehouse prepped us for the idea that conversations with elders might not be linear, might follow threads we weren't expecting. This was really sobering, though. Here we were, two settler guys in his living room, asking him to share knowledge of the foods that have historically been important to his people, and getting a lesson in the fact that until really recently, they weren't even allowed to access those foods. So, about natural foods, everything... Foods that are, were important to your, the culture of people before white man came and be, to your people currently and, and in the past? Well, today we still, uh, like myself, like a, in my fridge there, that's why I was saying to this guy, do you have a moose, uh, moose sausage? Do you have a, like duck eggs out there? <laughs> 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 and some bannock? <laughs> Those are the things we still use today. We still use the, 
like things that grow on the, on the land, like the berries, choke cherries, strawberries, blueberries, and like the moose berries. Those are st still today we we make even jam out of it. There's no sugar. There's natural sugar, right? And the foods that we eat is like a, like the things that grow on a, on on the Athabasca River. Things that grow on the lake, we still use those today. And we go hunting like the elk, moose, deer, because those are the ones that still eat those natural medicines. And we still use, we still eat those ones. In the summertime, sometimes we we still pick pick up those duck eggs, geese eggs, actually bigger. And like all kinds of natural foods that are still growing out there. Do you mind if I ask how do you how do you, what's your favorite way to cook a duck egg? Well, to boil it is the favorite way, the, my favorite. I just ask because um, you know, like I'm I'm part Chinese and duck eggs are like a a, a food that was kind of well known, and yeah. there are lots of very um, fragrant ways to cook them in Chinese culture. Oh, that, that I'm pretty sure that they can agree with me because it's uh, boiling. It is it contains the inside of uh, the the protein and and everything else. It goes in, into the instead of going out, it goes into the the center of the egg. So. That's why it's important to to boil it. At the same time, like at the you're getting the the nutrients of the of the egg itself going into the to the center of the egg. That's my favorite way of cooking it. Mm. So it's it's very good. Like I I notice sometimes when I go to Chinese place that the Every once in a while, I can ask them if they can make some rice and mix that with the with the rice. Oh, they're very delicious. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds really good. Yeah, it is very good. We talked about wild rice, about how the potlatch tradition helped people share food and say, mmm, those spices or that fish is really good. Where'd you get it? We'd been sitting on Jim's couch for about 45 minutes. I told him I had read that his parents worked really hard to hide him and his siblings from the Indian agents when they were kids, so they wouldn't get taken to residential schools. When I was reading your biography, um, it mentioned that your parents had worked really hard to make sure that you and your siblings weren't um, taken to residential schools by the Indian agents. Is that uh, correct? Yes. My people, uh, actually my... My tribe for the Ojibwe First Nation out in Hinton. We were we were the runners to run away from from civilization for a long time and we hid and living off living off the land. So what you're talking about, natural foods. See I didn't stop that till nineteen seventy. That's not too long ago. Out there. Like I didn't know anything about the outside world. 
So for me to speak this language that I'm speaking, like I had to learn from from a lady actually from Rocky Mountain House. And then the next thing I said led to a very awkward moment. And if you know a fair bit about how these interactions are supposed to go with elders, you've probably seen this coming from a mile away. For those of you who don't, I'm including it so you can learn from our mistake. Do you mind if I ask, like, what what role did food play in what it meant for you to be at home with your parents? Like, Well, for us, like, uh, it was... Uh, it was a big deal for us to even to get a a game when when we when we when that animal offers itself to us we all we also do this protocol, which is what I was going to ask you guys that the like the protocol has to be done right <laughs> we weren't sure when exactly that was supposed to happen do you, may i um yeah. This is a good chan- chance. Um, yeah, we just weren't sure what, what the, when, yeah. when it was supposed to be. So usually at the beginning. Okay. At the beginning before you ask even. <laughs> yeah. Sorry about that. We're we're new to this. That's okay. Well, I I know that's why I didn't say anything, but I was going to mention it somewhere anyway. So. <laughs> so we went to uh, the tobacconist and asked what would be an appropriate protocol offering, and he suggested this. And Nathan, uh, he suggested it because uh, he said he said it was natural, and and he he said this is what most people um get when they're when they're talking to an elder mm-hmm. um the then it's natural tobacco it doesn't have the, flavor. the the flavorings or the or the things that you might get in in a regular cigarette mm-hmm. like all the chemicals that they seem to add so that one's the most natural as it can get um is this um is this appropriate is this a good did we make a good pick yeah this is this is good and Tobacco is tobacco, and it don't matter if it's uh, if it's natural tobacco or or any tobacco because this we use this in our out there when when we either pick medicines or those natural foods you're talking about we offer it to the to the spirit the spirit of the land because she's growing those trees she's growing the foods. She's growing the foods for the for the spirits, like the animals that are walking out there, that use this land, the fish, the water that that we drink, because it has a spirit. That's why we, this, is not for me, but for me to to offer it out there, because we're all natural species of, of people. We're all we're all created by by that natural creation, natural organization. We wouldn't be here if it was for, from that, that natural organization, if it wasn't there. So that's why like, this is what we put out there. So that was totally my mistake. I should have known to offer the tobacco first, but we pushed through that. Jim was very gracious about it. We talked some more about the potlatch and then it seemed like time to bring out the things we did bring for him specifically to say thank you. Um, speaking of foods, we wanted to um, bring you some other things that you might enjoy. Oh, okay. Um, 
So uh, I, I, I did try really hard to find Moose Nose. Okay. Um, <laughs> when we thought we might be able to have breakfast together. Um, uh, the, the closest I could get was I had a friend whose dad um, is a hunter and he's friends with another hunter who did have some moose sausage in their freezer. So oh. since we weren't able to have breakfast together, okay. um, I thought you might enjoy it anyway. Oh, nice. Um, so okay. uh, a couple different kinds of sausage in there. Oh, nice. <laughs> That'd be awesome. And I can cook me breakfast now, good breakfast. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and then um, uh, also we wanted to just uh, thank you for your time. Uh, Jody recommended some dry meats. Mm -hmm. So uh, there's a little bit of bison in there. Oh, okay. Nice. Um, thank you. And uh, when I called you the other day, you were underneath your car fixing your brake pads, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> I, was, I was fixing my pony. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was fixing my 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 car there actually with my my nephew there, and trying to put a brake pads into because they were steel to steel, and I, so I told him, you know, my pony's running out of uh, the shoes, the brake shoes, <laughs> but the one I had before, I never had to worry about that. <laughs> Well, we thought, um, in case you wanted to buy some new horseshoes for your pony, oh. um, we thought you might be able to pick some up at Jiffy Lube. Oh, this is <laughs> awesome. Thank you. <laughs> I had thought about what Jody said, about offering something that's actually meaningful to the elder we speak to. So Nathan and I went halvesies on Jiffy Lube gift cards. And then it was time to say goodbye. Well, next time we'll, we'll, have, we'll do it in a teepee. <laughs> <laughs> sounds fun to me. Yeah. yeah. That sounds great. I look forward to next time. Before I dropped Nathan off, we debriefed in the car. And uh, debrief. <laughs> debrief, yeah. Well, it was, a, it was a lot of information, I think. I don't know how you're going to put that together <laughs> to a podcast. Um, but uh, was, I feel... I learned quite a bit. I always knew that there was offerings of some sort. I didn't know how or why. The history, and he talked about the history of this area and how people, the potlatch was interesting too. It's, it's, it's moving thinking about it, thinking about how they could ban something like that, thinking about how the systematically they were taking away their ability to provide food for themselves. Just everything feels like an injustice or something that's wrong. And it's an injustice that we don't know this stuff more. If I could sum up what we learned as a bit of advice for other folks from settler backgrounds trying this out, here's what I would say. First off, be ready to take no for an answer. There's a long and obvious history of settler folks from academic and research backgrounds asking Indigenous people to share their stories and giving nothing back, and then actively oppressing Indigenous peoples and taking away their languages and sense of community. So at this point in Canada's history, it makes sense that lots of people are just not going to want to share those stories. Next, we learned that offering tobacco is important, 
and also offer protocol at the beginning of your conversation, not at the end like we did. Any kind is okay. We got an unflavored blend in the plastic baggie from a tobacconist. Cigarettes work too. Last, maybe most important, invest in ongoing relationships. I was really lucky to have people like Jody Stonehouse and James Wakokas around me willing to help me make contacts. But I also intend to keep building those friendships and hopefully have Elder Jim O'Chis actually over for breakfast someday soon. So in summary, learn a bit about what you're getting into. Be open to the idea that others might see knowledge differently than you do. Don't be scared. If we honestly intend to live out this treaty relationship on this land, then the best time to get started is now. By the way, I talked to Jim a couple days later. He said the moose sausage was delicious. Thanks for listening to Let's Find Out. I love hearing what you guys think of the show, and I want your questions about Edmonton history. Drop me a line at chris at letsfindoutpodcast.com. You can listen to the rest of our episodes on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and letsfindoutpodcast.com. Okay, thank you, time. Thank you to Nathan Smith. Thank you to Jody Stonehouse and Elder Jim O'Chise for speaking with us. Thank you to the many, many people who helped with research and connections for this episode. Miranda Jimmy, Alexis Kinlan, Sonia Caligiuri, Catherine Ivany, James Makokas, Cynthia Tawan. Thanks to everyone who helped with the search for moose, including Ali Koskala, Rob Koskala, Nigel Robinson, Jeff Isaac, Kyla Fisher, Mila Adair, Jim Fisher, and Kelly Ian Callens. Thank you to the Edmonton Historical Board and the Edmonton Heritage Council for supporting this podcast. To everyone who's been supporting it, especially Finn. Original music for this podcast is by the really lovely human being, Doug Hoyer. Artwork for our logo by Andrea Hergy at Mount Pioneer Design. All right, that's it for this month. I'm Chris Chang and Phillips. Until next time, keep your questions coming.